Joining us on the Harbor One Hotline is Dave Poulin. Dave brought to you by Star Market, the official supermarket of the Boston Bruins. Hello, David. How are you, Dale? I'm doing all right, thanks. Uh, I'm kind of anxious to get some sports back in my life. That's why I was watching, you know, Tom Brady spray it all over the lot on Sunday. Uh, are you optimistic or pessimistic about the return of the NHL? I am always optimistic. Now, I wasn't quite as optimistic when Brady stood on his sixth or seventh tee and Charles Barkley started to challenge him to hit the green for 25 grand or 50 grand. My optimism was wavering at that point, and I could see inside Tom Brady's mind saying, who talked me into this and why did I say yes? I think that was exactly what was going through his mind at that point. Um, but, you know, just seeing live sports back on TV, Dale, I think it transitions into what we're all hopeful for. And whatever we do see is going to be different. It's going to be challenging. Uh, but I think to get these, I guess, events out there, and the one be- the week before was almost a test run for the Brady Manning Woods Mickelson event. And from a hockey standpoint, if you're watching it, you're more interested in what went on behind the scenes and all the logistics that went on, albeit only for four players, still from a broadcast standpoint, from a technical standpoint, from a clubhouse standpoint, from all those things. And, you know, as you poured through that on on my computer, that document came up as a 22-page document. And as I read through it, all I could think about was legal and medical, legal and medical, legal and medical. So every time a medical question came up, the lawyers were consulted and what they could write, what they couldn't write. And, and that really is what the challenges are coming back. And, you know, there's very little in there about actually playing hockey. There were, you know, talks about coming back and skating in small groups at the practice facilities. But the minute they mentioned the practice facilities, it was all about, what it would take to get that practice facility where it had to be for the players to do it. And, you know, there's so many challenges as we transition back from this crazy, crazy now 11 week period, I guess we're into without sports. I think the 12th of March was the day officially that the NHL shut down. You know, it would be challenging coming back from this regardless of what the circumstances were, but with the circumstances still not totally clear it's going to be incredible. And just the costs incurred, as you, as you read through that 22-page phase two, all you could think about was the costs that are going to be incurred by the respective teams without the revenue flow that they normally have. If you came back and just said, okay, we're back with a full revenue stream, everything's you know, like it used to be, full buildings and full concessions and full ancillaries and full broadcast rates and everything else, boy, there's a lot of costs here. When you're coming back to fractional revenues, it's even more magnified. But the steps have to be taken. And what phase two is, is a step back towards playing for the NHL. Well, to that end, Dave, you said 22 pages. I got as a 24-page PDF here. As a former player, from the playing side of it, what stood out the most about what the NHL has put together here for this phase two? Um, I think that, that the player's health is paramount and I think it, that's dictated right throughout. I think that's what the players want to see. And you know, something that was mentioned now, even in terms of transitioning back in terms of living arrangements, things that families were mentioned. I think that's something you wouldn't have seen, you know, fifteen or twenty or twenty five years ago that 
you know, if families were to join respective players, those costs would be covered and accommodations would be made. Um, from a player's standpoint, I'm a little surprised by one thing, and that is that there isn't an inclusion of a coach or an instructor when the six players get on the ice. Hmm. And so essentially what you're saying is this is captain's practice. That's the vernacular you would use coming back at the start of a year when the captains would get together and run skates for a couple of weeks. Um, that surprises me. And I don't know. I'm assuming that's driven by the players that they don't want to be told exactly what to do right when they get back. Um, but it does surprise me because it's not physical distancing guys. A coach could stand on the bench and, you know, the respective six players on the ice could stand, you know, their, their distances away and they could be instructed on what to do. I'd be much more comfortable if I was a player, if I was instructed at that point, and I'm not talking about overcoaching, I'm talking about having a professional instructor sort of ease me back into going rather than just get six guys together and say, okay, we're going to, you know, go board to board, or we're going to do this little shooting drill, or we're going to do this little circular drill or whatever that may be. And today's players are much more used to being instructed in the off season than we were. I mean, we, you know, at the end of the season, you went your way and you worked out and you came back and you started training camp. And now these guys all have personal trainers, all have very high end, sophisticated programs and sports science they're involved with. So that surprised me from a player standpoint. But other than that, I think if I look at the document from a player and say, okay, clearly they are catering to every possible medical situation that could potentially arise. And that's very, very important to me. Dave, as you alluded to, there's huge hurdles, financial, logistical, whatever along the way. But the first thing that jumped out to me was sort of a superficial sports thing in the four top seeded teams playing a round robin for their seeding moving forward, which, you know, as a Bruins fan, I take for, okay, we played, you know, two thirds, three quarters of a season, gave ourselves the best record in hockey and we could lose that in a three or four game round robin and end up a four seed. That just that jumps out to me as something I would not like if I were a fan of one of those best teams. Yeah, I would agree. And and I think if you took virtually every team in the mix, other than the you know the the eight teams that are being added that wouldn't have been in. But even so, you know, if you look at it, say the top sixteen teams are they top sixteen by points? Are they top sixteen by point percentage? Or there was a third variable that was introduced at one point. Are they top 16 by their first 68 games played in the season, not the last three or whatever that, you know, that imbalanced it. So this is going to be unfair to everyone in some, some way. It just is. There's not going to be a level playing field for everyone. And if you're one of those top eight teams you want to play and you want to try and make it, competitive you need some incentive at some point and so to put the seeding factor into those top eight teams it just makes it more of a real game and is it going to be perfect no it's not and and i laugh when i think about you know nhl players playing if they're just going out and playing for nothing and and i tell the story guys about we when i was in philadelphia we swept somebody four straight and the other series was going seven games and they had started after we did. So there was like a 10 day gap between games. And so we had to try and stay competitive as a team that, you know, was penalized because of their success. And so Mike Keenan was our coach. So, you know, we had a full scrimmage one day and we had jerseys, game jerseys and referees and the scoreboard was on and, 
Well, of course, one side goes up like nine nothing. <laughs> so Keenan is furious, furious. And so he says, okay, it's like 200 bucks a man to the winning team. Then the other team scores nine straight. Now he's even madder. So, you know, as silly a story as it is, the fact that the players are playing for something in that top eight grouping is more significant to me than than how it turns out. We're talking with Dave Poulin, former member of the Boston Bruins, TSN hockey analyst. Uh, I still don't think this is a done deal yet despite the fact that they've taken the proper baby, baby steps in the right direction. I'm reading comments from players like Tuka Rask of the Bruins, like Devin Dubnik of the Minnesota Wild, who are saying, listen, we don't really like the idea of being away from our families for a couple of months. Will the players ultimately vote, do you think, to continue, despite their reservations about the whole quarantine, quarantine bubble scenario here? I do, Dale. I think they'll vote for it. I think there's, you know, the financial impact on enough of them is significant enough to sway the vote. And, you know, and no surprise that the two guys that you mentioned are both goaltenders, because I think it's going to be really tough for goalies coming back into this world. But, you know, the two-month quarantine is interesting. And and if you think about the old Montreal Canadiens, they quarantined in the playoffs. And they went to that island for two months. And home and away, they were in a hotel. And through their cup teams, you know, and that's what they did. And, and I know that other teams tried the concept of it in later years, and players rebuked and said, look, I can't check out a life for two months. And yet these circumstances are so unique, and we've asked so much of so many different people through this time. And, you know, I mean, we talk so much about the frontline workers, but we've asked so much of so many. And you know, to, to make that sacrifice now in order to get life back in order in their own house, it's going to be tough. There's no question about it, particularly with young kids. I can only imagine how tough that would be with young kids. And is it a done deal yet, Dale? I don't think it's close to a done deal, but you have to take these baby steps to keep the conversation going. And what conversation does, guys, is, is it brings up the exact points that you bring up. You know, you might think you've thought something through, and then once you put it on paper and put it in a 22 or 24-page document and, and get it out there, you know, questions arise that maybe weren't thought of from that perspective. And I think that's really, really important. One thing, and, and the day that the NHL was canceled, the 12th of March, I was on my way to Chicago to do uh, Chicago-Ottawa and then St. Louis-Ottawa a couple of days later. And they called me into the studio in that morning and they said, could you just go live with Gino Retta, one of our hosts on SportsCenter? And I said, sure. So I was on over about half an hour and we were throwing back and forth to SportsCenter. And then we built our panel with, with our regular guys, with James Duffy and the crew. And we went live for like seven hours and throwing back and forth to SportsCenter and trying to address this. And this is now, what, 10 plus weeks ago. And one of the points that I thought about at that time is this could be an opportunity for the NHL and the NHLPA, the players in the league, to communicate in a way that they've never done before. Like take their level of communication in a, in a, you know, in a way that's never been as collaborative as it's possibly been and, and forge a whole new relationship that serves both and that bends both ways and is truly, truly, you know, a partnership. And, and I think in a lot of ways, the one positive that comes out of this up to now is that communication 
can they get a deal done? There's a lot better chance of it now, I think, than there were in past years. Hey, Dave, last one for me. You mentioned the, the, the one of the notes here is about families and the hub sites. What are you hearing you know, in the hockey circles about what the hub sites are going to be? It seems like Vegas is almost a lock, but if you had to guess right now, where are these games going to be played? Yeah, I don't know. I put my I put my uh, my Canadian chip in for Edmonton um, for for a number of reasons. One, the facility is spectacular. Two, there's a brand new JW Marriott attached to the facility. There's plenty of of space, and I think space is a really important word, even with the hallways and all that kind of stuff that we're looking at. But most importantly, their rate of incident for COVID is incredibly low both provincially and city-wise, and really, really low. And then they've, show, they've you know, produced sort of a, a player entertainment package, if you will, where they've included a golf course that they would isolate you know, on off days and, and movies for families and kids, but they've got all the facilities right there where they could do that. And I think that has to be an idea like that wherever we end up playing if that's the case they go to two sites or four sites whatever it is they're going to think about all these things and those are doable things if you've got the space and you know and i think clearly when you talk about vegas you know the nba could be a factor in the nhl going to vegas who knows if they get there first they've got you know they could take any one of their well actually for basketball though guys they build twenty-five thousand seat arenas in their in their casinos right for fights and stuff so they may be able to take that in a whole different route but i i think you know toronto is one that is very doable from a standpoint of facilities as well um from a from a canadian standpoint if you're talking about a canadian city but then you bring the border into fact and you know the quarantine the self-quarantine and crossing the border and all those crazy things that you know that we're going to have to deal with moving forward and this transition back and I, i think we may be a little bit ahead of you um city to city in terms of how we've handled things. But then on our, you know, on our weekend, we had first nice weather. We, we had a huge park downtown that was overrun with people. And the, it kind of the first real public setback that we've had. Um, and we've got to remind ourselves we're not out of this yet. So, you know, I, I just think, you know, moving forward, whatever sites they chose, they choose rather, We'll be thinking about more than just actually playing the game, and it's all the different logistics that go with it. Dave, it's a minor thing in the grand scheme of things, but we just spent a little while talking about the idea, and you've obviously seen the game from the playing perspective and then the TV perspective of how you cover these games without fans. Would you be pumping in crowd noise? Is it arena crowd noise, or is it just part of the broadcast, depending on which side you're rooting for and watching? As a as a former player, that empty arena fake crowd noise how do you think that would have any effect on the games i think the crowd noise would be for the home audience i don't think it would be for the building i don't think you'd pump it into the building i think you from a broadcast standpoint you know a couple of the producers that i work with regularly they said if you give me 11 or 12 cameras i can make it look great for the home audience and that's what this is about and you know i'm laughing as we we think back to the golf and and how you know you're talking about the home audience if that shot tracker is not there, guys, I'm fuming. Like, I want that shot tracker every shot. Now, I'm, I'm sitting at home in my living room. I want to see where the ball went. Right. And when the shot tracker wasn't up there. And so I think you could get some really creative producers that could do some really good stuff for home audiences. And that might include sound noise. But I don't think it's a factor for the players in the building. I think once the game starts, 
you know, even if you start at rookie tournaments and you say, you know, I don't know where the Bruins are right now with the rookie tournament, but, you know, if you're playing in a four-team rookie tournament, if you're the afternoon game, you're not playing the home team, you're playing in front of empty buildings, guys. You know, guys have done this before in various stages of of exhibition games or whatever it may be. And uh, and I think the competition of the game would take over. Certainly it would lose from not having fans there, but the competition of the game would take over. 